You're listening to the Cornerstone Word of Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from Pastor Rhonda. For more information on our church, please visit cwol.org. How many of you know these are the last days? And in the last days, we are seeing an increasing dichotomy between the world and the church. The world is off doing its own thing, but I'll tell you, here in the church, it just keeps getting better and better. We just keep going from glory to glory, ever higher in the anointing and the presence of God, Him showing up and showing out in our lives in magnificent ways. Glory to God. The the Bible says that Jesus uh, is coming for a glorious church, a church with the glory of God upon it. We're not going out weak, wimpy, and defeated. We're going out with the manifested presence of God in our lives, in our bodies, in our homes. Glory to God. In the world, it may be getting darker and darker, and that's kind of what we're looking at. But I don't want you to despair. We're looking to, we're going to continue tonight looking at the signs, how to know when we're in the last of the last days. Because when we are in the last of the last days, there's certain behavior that's appropriate for this season. That's what we're leading up to. Glory to God. So we're going to talk about the state of the world, and in some ways it's depressing. How many of you know it's depressing out there? But it is not depressing in here. Glory to God. We are going from glory to glory, from glory to glory, ever higher in the power and the glory of our Father. He is arising and shining in us. Glory to God. We're in a day of great outpouring. We're in a day of great outpouring. Glory to God. I am excited tonight. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Paul here was writing to Timothy and he said this know, which is another way of saying you must know this. This is important. In the last days perilous times shall come. We looked last week at how that word last in the last days, or in the last, yeah, in the last days means the very last of the last days. The word perilous means dangerous, fierce, or difficult. You know what? The devil and all his crew, they're up to doing what they do. But you know what? God and his crew, with his angelic help, with the anointing of the Holy Spirit, with the empowerment of the Spirit of God. We're just going from glory to glory while they're getting worse and worse. Glory to God. Woo! It's like a garden. We need to know what season we're in so we'll know what to do. In the spring, you till up the soil and, uh, and uh, plant the seeds. In the summer, you water it and fertilizer and keep the weeds and the critters out of the garden so they don't ruin the crops. And in the fall, we harvest. We know what behavior is appropriate by knowing what season we're in. And we looked last week at the sons of Issachar. The Bible says they had particular knowledge of the time Israel was in, and therefore they knew what Israel should be doing. 
We also looked at how Jesus was annoyed with the religious people of his day because they were able to see and interpret natural signs of the times, but they were oblivious to what time it was spiritually. How many of you know we know what time we're in? Glory to God. That's what this series is about right now. We're setting, uh, setting it securely on the inside of us where we are in time so that then we can look at what we need to be doing in this time, in this season. Glory to God. We set a natural sign, even a, a directional sign on the highway, either tells us what's coming on the road we're on or that we have arrived somewhere. The Apostle Paul began to enumerate the signs of the times to let us know what season we're in so that we'll know how to behave and what we should be doing in this time. So let's look again at verse 1. 2 Timothy 3, 1, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Verse 2, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul began to give us the signs of the last of the last days. And he was saying, when you see all these things converging together and happening at once, then you know it's the last of the last days. And we started through this list last week. In this time we are in, are men lovers of their own selves? They are. Are they covetous? Seems to me they are. What was the third one on that list? Boasters. Boasters. Now that word boaster, do they have it up there? Can you, yes, okay, good, perfect. That word boaster is the Greek word alizonis, which means someone who's a braggart or someone who boasts. You know, a lot of times people use social media as their avenue of choice to boast about what they have, what they are, or what they do. That is wrong in itself because if I'm boasting, I'm putting myself over you and putting you down by comparison. Do you understand? So, so that in and of itself is wrong. But according to Rick Renner, a Greek scholar, that word doesn't just mean a braggart or someone who boasts, but it's also a person who lies. He said it this way. This person is not just a braggart. He's a liar. For the Greek word alizon actually represents a person so committed to his own self-promotion and agenda that he is willing to lie if it will get him a new position or goal that he desires. Today we call this situational ethics or adjusting your morals, beliefs, and convictions to fit any situation. In essence, it is doing and saying whatever you must in order to further your agenda, even if it clashes with your conscience or your convictions. How many of you know that in our day, the absolutes of the Bible, they're trying to do away with them? And they're trying to say, well, you know, the Bible's an old ancient book and it doesn't really apply in our modern time, literally. And so, you know, I know the Bible says you shouldn't lie, but sometimes lying is good. I know it says you shouldn't steal, but sometimes you just got to take what you, what you have coming to you. 
I know sometimes, you know, uh, it says to, to walk in love with other people, but sometimes you just can't help it. You just got to uh, hate people and hold unforgiveness towards people. You know, about a dozen years ago or so, Right here in our local school system, a group of our elementary students took a morality test. And one of the children from our church answered the question that it is wrong to lie. Well, right in the class, his teacher called him out because of it. She said, that's wrong. And here, erase your answer and change it. Because sometimes you need to lie. Sometimes lying is the right thing to do. What is that? That's situational ethics. You know, uh, okay, yeah. We, what we've done is we've turned the, the, the law of the Bible, the laws of God, in, into suggestions that can be followed unless you need to do something different. Do you understand what I'm saying? How many of you know that is not the way God intended for us to live? You know, those people who are saying uh, it's okay to lie, I think they wouldn't feel that way when someone's lying to them. Are, are you with me? Those boasters think they know God, know better than God himself what humanity should do or be or how they should act. They think lying is okay for them to do, but I'm sure they don't want anyone lying to them. I actually know somebody who was in an open marriage, meaning we're together, but we both can step out if we want to, and we're going to stay together and remain married. Well, that worked as long as he was the only one stepping out. He had dalliance after dalliance. I know this person, and I know what I'm talking about. He had affair after affair, but the moment he thought she might have, he left her without any proof that she did, and filed for divorce. How many of you know situational ethics are okay as long as you're the one breaking the rule? You know, uh, those shows on TV where the man has multiple women, wives, I can about guarantee you that those men would never tolerate another man moving in on their wives. And, and he take the role of a brother-husband. <laughs> you ever notice that is nowhere out there? It's all good when the open marriage is just open on your end. Do you understand? Nobody likes to be on the receiving end of the nonsense. They just like to be on the giving end. The world now thinks it knows better than God himself what's best and what's the right way for humanity to act. That's what boasting means. I, I know better than God. I know better than God what's right, what's moral, what we should be doing in this day and time. You know, there was a, um, a psychiatrist who came out, I don't even know how many years it was ago, 10 or 15 years ago, saying we need to legalize relations between adults and children because the adults who engage in that kind of behavior feel bad. And they only feel bad because of the stigma society puts on it. So if we erase that stigma and make it okay, then they can molest children guilt-free. My God, 
Fortunately, James Dobson and some Christian people rose up and, and called it the nonsense it was and put an end to the motion to legalize relations between adults and children. I'm sorry they feel bad, but they ought to feel bad. Anyway, let it go, let it go. The problem is the world thinks it knows better than God. What humanity should do and what humanity should be in this hour. I think that's why the Holy Spirit listed proud as the next sign of how humanity would act in the last days. He said they would be lovers of self. They, they would be covetous. They would be boasters. They would be proud. Now, what letter is in the middle of the word pride? Think about it in your head. I, right? Proud people have themselves at the center of their own world. I'll do as I want. I'll live as I want. And they don't even care how their behavior affects everyone around them. You know, it's going to sound like I watch TV day and night, but I promise you I don't. I, I'm just trying to, I have some social context on TV for what I'm talking about. There are people who have even decided after so many decades of marriage that they want to change who they are at the foundation without any thought for, for how this is going to affect their family and everybody around them. Are you with me? It's all about me. What do I need? What do I need? The only thing that matters is what I feel like I need. I almost tripped. How many of you know that's not the only thing that matters? God knew that. God didn't want humanity to go through life leaving a wake of heartache behind us. Leaving a trail of, of bodies that we've destroyed with the decisions that we made so selfishly. Therefore, he said, don't be selfish. Put others higher than yourselves. Consider them better than yourselves. People just giving in to the lowest urges of their flesh, not even caring how it affects everybody else in their families. No one is an island all unto themselves. All of our behavior affects everyone around us, either for the good or for the bad. You know, I was reminded today about how our behavior and the course we set for our own life affects not only us, but even generations yet to come. I, I got word today about a terrible, tragic situation in a family just like this. But, but I, I, I was asking the Lord one day, because it used to really bother me. I said, Lord, how is it fair that I was born in America where there's a church on every corner, where I, I was born into a family even, where I was, uh, made, made, they made the truth known to me. How is it that I could come to the truth at an early age and some people in those dark places never hear or never know? How, that makes you look unfair, and I don't understand how that's fair. And he said to me, Rhonda, 
We are all descend, humanity is all descended from the same parents. How many of you know that's true? All of us have Adam and Eve as our forefathers. We all have that ancestor in common, Adam and Eve. Are you with me? And really, uh, science is catching up to that. DNA, they made the headlines not very long ago. DNA testing proves we're all descended from the same mother. Well, we could have told them that. It's on like page two of their three of the book, right? I even got inside news for them. Her name was Eve. I know her name. How many science is catching up in some ways? So we all descended from Adam and Eve, but we also have another ancestor in common. Noah and Mrs. Noah, right? I don't even know what Mrs. Noah's name is. But Mrs. Noah and Mr. Noah, they, they and their three sons and their wives were the only ones alive after the flood. The flood wiped out everybody else. So all of us also came from Mr. and Mrs. Noah, we all have those ancestors in common. I know I drive my husband crazy, but I do like those where do I come from, who do you think you are shows that dig into everybody's past. He's like, why do we keep looking backwards? We got to look forward. But, you know, sometimes it, it's cool. It's cool to figure out who's in, you know, who's in your family tree, all the fruits, the nuts, and the flakes in your family tree. You know, uh, uh, some of my cousins did some research, and uh, one of my, I don't even know who, how many great-grandfathers ago, was called out of church. Uh, he was in George Washington's army, and because of that, he was called out of church and had a duel outside of the church uh, back in George Washington's day. How many of you know that's pretty cool? Uh, and so, you know, it's occasionally good to find out, you know, although, you know, sometimes people find more than they want to find out there. I felt bad for that one lady. One of her ancestors murdered the king, and the king happened to be her other ancestor. Their grandkids married somewhere down the road, but, I mean, one of her forefathers murdered their other forefather who was the king. I mean, it was this great big whole scandal thing. It was, I was like, dear Lord, need a scorecard. You know what I'm saying? All the traumas and the dramas of the stuff, and I'm sure all of our family trees are full of fruits, nuts, and flakes. They're just not us, right? We're the same end of the tree. Where was I going? Uh, fruits, nuts, and flakes, family decisions. Okay, um, so all of us had descended from Noah and Mrs. Noah and Adam and Eve, and that means that somewhere in our past, somewhere in the lineage of everyone's past, somebody knew the truth. Somebody knew the truth and for whatever reason decided to walk away and not serve God anymore, not follow God anymore. And that decision affected their descendants that came after them. Are you with me? I personally saw it with my own eyes. I, in middle school, hung out, had some friends who were Really serious sinners. You know what I mean? I mean, these people weren't just going to barely go to hell. 
These were the people who are going to bust a door wide open. You know what I'm saying? These weren't hobby sinners. These were professional sinners, okay? I mean, seriously. Drugs, they were into drugs. They drank too much. They slept around. They, they lived hard, even clear back in middle school. They were living hard. They, I mean, they, they were good at it. But their grandparents would come occasionally to visit, and their grandparents were, they told me their grandparents were religious. Turns out their mother was raised in church by these religious people. And, you know, in her defense, I don't know what happened in that family. Maybe they weren't good Christians. Maybe they were jerks. You know what I'm saying? Maybe terrible things happened. But you ought not walk away from God because of the behavior of any man. Trust me, God's as frustrated with them as you are. God, I'm sure at points, would just like to thump people. You know what I mean by that? You know, the thing your mama used to do when she was mad, maybe your mama didn't. My mama thumped every now and then, you know, boom, right on the head whenever you was messing up. Okay, I'm bonking. Okay, Uh, but maybe they were jerks. Uh, maybe they weren't good Christians. I don't know. I just know that she was raised in a, in a God-fearing church uh, and a God-fearing family. But something happened, and she decided to walk away. And because of that, she married an unbeliever and raised her family completely apart from God. And her, her kids had never been to church. And her kids were the kids I was telling you about that we're such serious sinners. You know, one of them even ended up in a mental institution. So miserable. Their lives had no meaning. They had nothing to live for except for their own pleasure. And it took more and more sin to even get that little bit of pleasure that their flesh was feeling out of life. Do you understand what I'm saying? In two generations, I saw the total destruction of a family. The decisions we make affect everyone who comes after us. Listen, I don't care who did what. You ought not walk away from God for any reason. My dad was a pastor. And he was a really bad pastor. I mean, he was a bad pastor. And if he ever comes, y'all just smile and be nice to him, okay? Because he came back to the Lord after maybe 30 years away. But my point is this. When my mom and my dad got divorced, it was because he was a horrible example of a Christian, let alone a minister. How easy would it have been for her to walk away from God? How easy would it have been for her to say, unbelievers act more moral than he did and keep us kids out of church? But I guarantee you she didn't do that. She didn't stumble over the man. Don't stumble over whoever it is that's hurt you, whoever it is that disappointed you. Whoever it is that let you down, 
Even after their divorce, my mom had us kids in church. And, and, you know, I was not in a good place. Lots of things happened, and I was not in a good place. And, and there were times, I told you about my friends, right? Now, I have to be honest, I didn't do their drugs. I'd never done drugs in my life. Closest I ever came to drinking was I put my, my finger in somebody's beer one time, licked it, and got totally grossed out. I never drank, I never did drugs, I never did any of their stuff, but I sure enough hung with them. You understand? I was not in a good place. Although I had so much fear of God, that's one thing they did do right. I was, I was afraid to get too far. They put, a, they put a fear of God in me that held me through some tumultuous years. I, I told you this story before, but I came home from school one day, and I was like in sixth grade or seventh grade or something, and nobody was home, and people should have been home, and my house was empty. And I thought I missed the rapture. I thought Jesus had come, and I was left behind. I am serious as I can be. I went into full panic mode right there in my living room. I fell on my knees, and I was crying and asking the Lord for forgiveness and getting myself right with God, and in walks my family from <laughs> the convenience store or wherever they'd gone. And they're all looking at me like I'm totally insane. You know, I'm having a one-person move of God in the living room. But that fear of God kept me from doing all the things my other friends were doing. You understand? But I still was messed up. I have very distinct memories of my mother getting her belt. My mama had a threat belt. She had a man's leather belt about this wide that she would wear on the outside of her clothes as a threat. Don't make me take this off and use it because you know I will. I have a very distinct memory of her chasing me to the car with that belt when I refused to go, when I wasn't going to go. But you know what? She got me in church, and when she got me there, God met me there. When she got me there, God met me there. Don't you leave your teenagers at home. Well, they don't want to come. Well, they can get over it as long as they're in your house, can't they? God met them. God, God met me. He met my siblings. Man, we were in a church that we used to all come around the altar at the end of the service. And I'll tell you, God got a hold of me despite the rebellion of my heart. What is my point? Don't let anyone keep you out of church. I don't care what they've done. I don't care how easy it is to stay home and lick your wounds. Oh, people can be jerks. I hate to break it to you. Even in the church, they can be jerks. There ain't no perfect people. We're all just under construction, subject to failure. Subject to making mistakes. You know, I, as hard as I try, I've offended people. I hate it that I have. Seriously, it grieves me because I, I've tried so hard not to. Because in my position, I live every day conscious of the fact that somebody could go to hell if I mess up. 
It's a, it's a serious responsibility and a responsibility I take seriously. And so I always try to do what's right by everybody, even to my own detriment. But I still mess up. I still offend people. Things still go wrong because the, ma- the devil is a master at causing division between people. Don't you let anybody chase you out of church and away from God. Not only your eternal destiny is hanging on it, but perhaps your descendants after you. You don't want your children going to hell because of the example you set before them. There's nobody going to keep me out of church or away from God. Don't don't let him do that to you. Hang in there no matter what happens. I tell you, Satan is such a master at bringing division between people. Heaven is a perfect place and God is a perfect God. But the devil was able to bring such railing accusations against God in heaven that he was able to get one-third of the angels to turn against God. Angels who had, from eons past, stood wing to wing, honoring and serving God. The devil was able to get in there with his trickiness and cause division and cause them to turn away from God. My point is he's good at it. mm, None of this is in my notes. This is all free, okay? Who is the father of offense? Satan. So if you're led out of church by offense, who just led you out? Selah. Pause and think on these things. I don't know about you, but I don't want the devil leading me anywhere. There are times God will tell you to move. There are times God will tell you to leave. And if he ever does, you be quick to obey. We had a lady who came to us one time in the storefront. She said, I don't know why I am here. She said, I've been very involved in my church. I love my church. I love my pastors. I love the people. I only know when I prayed, God said, leave where you're at and go to Cornerstone. And she said, I can't explain it. Nothing is wrong. I don't even know why I'm here other than God told me to come. And I said, well, if God told you to come, there's purpose in it. And we welcome you. So she got, she started coming, she started getting involved, she, she got settled in our church and she was doing well, and it wasn't a couple months later that the pastor of that other church got up on a Sunday and said, I'm done, this church is closed, everybody leave, we're done. Shut the doors, wouldn't return anybody's calls. It was done. But she was being led. She was being led. Do you you understand? God can lead you out of a church if need be, just the same way he led you into one. But you don't want to leave because of offense. 
couple decades ago, we went through a real bad time in church history here in the United States. You know, ministers fighting and hiring private investigators to spy on each other and making each other fall. You know, uh, somebody uh, was caught in sin and somebody else called their name publicly and talked about about him. So they hired a private investigator to follow him. And when they got all the dirt on him, then they made all that dirt public. And we just seemed to go from scandal to scandal to scandal until I was almost ashamed to be a Christian myself. But how many people fell over those ministers who fell. And they quit coming to church. And they quit serving God because of what some jerky minister did. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? There's a scripture in the Old Covenant I haven't taught on it in decades, I don't think. But there's a scripture in the Old Covenant that says, as they were following the Ark of the Covenant, where the gathered presence of God was, God told them, back up far enough that you can see the Ark itself and not just the person in front of you. Because you've never been this way before. How many of you know some people were following those ministers so closely that when those ministers fell, everybody tripped over them and quit serving God? Listen, I want you to follow us as we follow Christ, but you keep your eyes on him. It's him that keeps you in church. It's him that keeps you steady. It's him that keeps you going the right direction because you had never been this way heretofore. Don't let anybody drive you out of church. Hurt your relationship with God. Lord, I don't even know why I'm saying all that. We're clean, okay? We're good. I promise we're good. It just seemed to me there's somebody in here that perhaps somebody has driven you out, driven you away, or the devil's tried to use people to drive you out. But you staying with God, serving God, doesn't just affect you. It doesn't even just affect the family that's with you now. It will affect your descendants to come. Stick with God. Stick with God. Stay with God. I promise we're good. All right? I promise we are. Okay. <gasps> Where am I? I have no idea. Do, 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 do. Okay. People are, uh, uh, blas uh, not blasphemers, they are, oh, Lord, I forgot what my first point was tonight. Pr no, the one before that. Boasters. They are boasters. Boasters, and they're proud. How many of you know it's true? Those are signs. When all of these things converge at once, we know we're in the last of the last days. And when we know we're in the last of the last days, we know how to behave. Are you with me? The, the what, next one I want to look at is, he said they would be blasphemers. Blasphemers. 
I have never seen it in my lifetime, the amount of blasphemy that's so prevalent in our society right now. I made mention last week of the spate of songs coming out right now, mocking God and the things of God. And, and they sound Christian. There's a song that the, the whole chorus is hallelujah. But if you dig into the verses, it is not a Christian song. Are you with me? Look it up for yourself if you don't believe me. Just for the record, I don't listen to secular radio, nor do I listen to secular music, okay? But there has been a singing competition show on TV that I like. And I was shocked at how many songs have Christian verbiage in them right now. But if you really look at the words, they're blaspheming God. Blasphemy is the act of insulting or showing contempt for God. After the news one night, I was watching the late night guy that comes on after the particular uh, newscast that I watch. He is one of, if not the most uh, popular late night guy on TV right now. And it wasn't but maybe six months or a year ago, he had a comedian on. Who's, who, whose entire spiel, his entire uh, monologue of, of uh, stuff that was supposed to be funny was mocking God, mocking the blood of Jesus Christ, saying, you know, Christians who believe in that, they're crazy, nuts, insane, mocking God, mocking the blood of Jesus Christ. I tell you, I was so upset. I turned that off, and I can't hardly watch that show to this day. Yes, it offended me, because that is the blood of my Savior that was shed for my sin. He gave his life. His blood flowed down Calvary's tree for me. How dare you mock and make fun. But that wasn't even what upset me the most. What upset me the most is that they were throwing stumbling blocks in the path of a whole bunch of people who need to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because they're dying, they're lost, they're miserable, they're going to hell. And he just made it harder for them to come by making Christians uncool. Something to be laughed at and mocked at. I have never seen such blasphemy in our society as there is just in the last several years coming to the forefront. I would say that the blasphemy in our nation has increased exponentially just in the last several years. And look, I know there are jerky ministers out there. There are people, Chris, jerky Christians, who misrepresent Christ. I totally get that. I totally get that. But there couldn't be a fake unless there's a real. You can't have a fake diamond if there's not a real diamond. Pastor and I couldn't have bought fake Rolexes on the streets of Thailand for $5 if there weren't real Rolexes that looked very similar. Don't write me any letters. We were just, it was a joke. 
We didn't, you know, try to sell them or anything. We just thought it was funny. We got our first Rolex on the streets of Bangkok. Our, our only Rolex we'll probably ever have on the streets of Bangkok for $5. Uh, it was just a fun. It was just a fun, funny thing. I'm sorry, Mr. Rolex. I'll send you an offering or something if you need me to. Um, but my point is, you can't have a fake unless there's an original. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on, but he's for real. Heaven is for real. The blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses you from your sin is for real. His death on Calvary's tree, bloody though it was, was necessary for the purging of our sins, the purging of your sins, the purging of my sins. It is necessary. And real. And because he did that, we're going to go live with him someday soon. The pride is almost hard to fathom to think that you can mock God and it be okay. That pride will surely lead them to destruction. Are men blasphemers in our day? Or is that something that's yet to come? It's here, isn't it? So far, I think we're batting 100, 1,000. What, what is that? What is the, good, the best batting average? 1,000. We're batting. You can tell how athletic I am. <laughs> so far, I think we're batting 1,000. I said 100, and I knew that didn't sound right. We're batting 1,000. I mean, we're 100%, right? All these things are prevalent in our day. All these are signs of the last of the last times. I want to read some scriptures. 2 Peter 2, 4. Out of the NIV. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. That's, everybody say, that's my, that's my great-grandpa. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men. For that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so... Then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. 
bold and arrogant these men are, not afraid to slander celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of the Lord. But these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. How many of you know only the ignorant criticize what they don't understand? I get it. They don't understand it. It doesn't make it not real. Born, uh, these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like beasts they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their feasts while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straight and narrow and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech, who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Do y'all remember that story at all? Somebody wanted to curse God's people. So they, they hired Balaam to curse God's people. And Balaam mercifully had enough sense to say, let me go ask the Lord about it. So the Lord said, those are my people, don't go with them. So they got upset with him, and they offered him money, and then all of a sudden he thought God must surely have changed his mind because he loved the wages of, of his wrongdoing. So Balaam went with them to curse the people of God. And while he was going, his donkey kept going off the road and stopping. It was in a very narrow place, and his donkey kept going off the road. How many of you know he's on his way to sin? He's on his way to curse the people of God that God told him not to do. And, and so he started beating this poor donkey. And he beat him and beat him, and, and finally, you know, uh, he'd get him back on the trail, and then, then the donkey would step aside and stop again. And he just beat him and beat him. And finally the Lord opened the donkey's mouth. And the donkey was like, have I not served you all these years? Yes, the donkey talked. How many of you know God created the donkey? He can make him talk if he wants to. Donkey said, haven't I served you faithfully all these years? Why are you beating me? He said, why are you doing what you're doing? He said, if I had not stopped, that angel there with the sword drawn would have killed you. Donkey saved his life. Donkey had more sense than he did. When Balaam went to curse him, he couldn't curse him. Because whom God has blessed, the Bible says no man can curse. He ended up blessing him. Made the man mad. He said, let's go to a different perspective. Let's try it again. Only this time, curse him. Blessed him repeatedly. Every time he opened his mouth, all he could do was bless. Because whom God has blessed, no man can curse. 
Verse 15, they have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. Is your morality for sale? Is your Christendom for sale? Your, your Christianity? I hope not. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech, who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These men are springs without water and mist driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. I'm talking about blasphemers and people who rail against deities. Are you with me? For they mouth empty boastful words. And by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. How many of you know <laughs> sinners don't like to sin alone? Just like people who are offended don't like to be offended alone. So he's saying what they're doing is they're pulling back into their sin, those who are trying to climb out of the sinful pit. They're pulling them back in with them. They're enticing those who were just escaping. Listen to verse 19. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. If there's ever been a time in our country's existence where this is more true, I don't know what is true. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. They say now, let's throw off the restraint of the church. Let's be free. Let's throw off the rules and the regulations. Let's be free. But the problem is they're not free. They are slaves to their sinful nature. Living by the lowest urges of their flesh. All the while proclaiming to be free when they're slaves to their sin. All of these things we've talked about, when they all come together at once, prove that we're in the last of the last days. And I know some of you are having a hard time believing that. Listen, I was raised in church. I was virtually born on the pew. I've been in church since I was an infant, and I've heard it all my life. You know, we're in the last days. Jesus is coming. But you know what? It's absolutely the truth. And we cannot get... Uh, used to that message and think that it's not really ever going to happen. 2 Peter 3, 1, just a few verses down from where we quit reading just now. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you, and I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. Scoffing, following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. 
Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on just as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. He's saying God spoke those words that says Jesus is coming back. The same God who spoke and the universe became. That's what he's talking about. He said we forget the power in his words. He spoke and the universe became. Well, Pastor Rhonda, that was the big bang. Yeah, you bet it was, baby. God spoke it and bang, it happened. That is exactly the big bang theory I believe in. And I know to be true. He's saying you've forgotten how powerful God's word is that he is not a man that he should lie. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, but he is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Yes, he has been slow in coming. He has been. But why? It's for the love of the people. Because he loves lost humanity so much that he's trying to give them as much time as possible to get it right before he comes. But make no mistake, he is coming soon. Methuselah was the oldest man that ever lived. Do you know what his name means? Do you know what was said of him? When he dies, it will come. What? Judgment. When he dies, it will come. He's the oldest man who ever lived. Why? Because God kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off wanting men and women to come home, wanting men and women to straighten up and do right and serve him so that they can be saved. What is he waiting for? The precious fruit of the earth. But do not mistake his long-suffering for eternal suffering. He, he's given us the signs to let us know when we're in the last of the last days. So far, we're batting a thousand. The Lord, verse 9, is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come. The day of the Lord will come. 
the day of the Lord will come. The day of the Lord will come. Like a thief. That means when you're not expecting him. The heavens, like I didn't expect him to come that day when I thought he came. I came in having probably been ornery that day. But the day of the Lord will come. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. What is my point? Jesus is coming. He is coming. He is coming. And he's coming soon. And we can't get complacent and say not in our lifetime, not in our, you know, it just the world has been continuing on like this for, for eons, for generations, for millennia past. It's always been the same. But he gave us these signs so we would know when is the last days, the very last of the last days. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Well, Pastor Rhonda, do you just have an escape theology? Look, I'm not going to be terribly sorry when all this mess is done. I intend to be on the first load out of here. You understand? Every now and then I just maybe get a little rapture practice in, you know. <laughs> Keep myself ready. Because he's coming and I want to be on the first load out of here. But you know what? I am not telling you, you know, just hold out till he comes. We used to sing those songs when I was growing up. Hold the fort, for I am coming. Just barely make it through. I'm climbing up on the rough side of the mountain. I'm not telling you, just hang on because it's getting ugly, although it is. Why am I even doing this series? I know some of you are asking that. I want you to be convinced we're in the last of the last days so that we can be about the business we're supposed to be about, so that we can be doing what is appropriate in this season of time, what's appropriate in this season of the world, because Jesus is coming. He is coming back, and we need to be about his business. After I finish convincing you that all the signs are here, then we're going to talk about how we as the church are going to go from glory to glory. How we're going to snatch people out of hell and populate heaven. Because that's what's going to get him here even faster. Because that's what he's waiting on. We need to be about our father's business. Because we don't have a thousand years anymore. We don't have a generation anymore. I believe that sincerely. The signs are converging like they never have in my lifetime. Verifying we are in the last of the last days. 
And we as the church, we're going to go from glory to glory. We're going from glory to glory. We're going to go out of here in a blaze of glory and power. Glory to God. We're going to plunder hell and populate heaven. We're going to take our authority. We're going to take our stand. And we're going to dominate over the forces of darkness and rule and reign in this life until he comes back. And then we're out of here in a blaze of glory. But if you don't know what season you're in, you can get complacent. And think I have all the time in the world to do what I want to do. Seems to me tonight God is calling somebody. It is time for you to come home. You've been out there playing around for a while now. But God wants you to come home. It's time to get after it. It's time to get after it. It's not just your destiny that's at stake. It's the destiny of those coming after you. Your decisions and how you choose to live your life doesn't just affect you. It affects the ancestors coming, or the the. the uh, Descendants, thank you. It affects your descendants for generations to come. Listen, I am absolutely certain that if that mother had seen that her behavior would cause that much destruction in the lives of her children, she would never have raised them the way she did. Do you understand? It just looked like a choice. I'm throwing off the religion. I, I want to be free. What she did was sell herself and her children in, into a cruel slave house from which they never recovered. It's deceptive. It's deceptive. The world has got it so messed up. They think freedom is bondage, and bondage is freedom. The devil is such a master at deception. But listen, God is calling you home tonight. He's telling you, it is time. It is time to come home. So church, I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes. And listen, I want you to pray this. With all of your heart, if you need to pray it, please, please. It's time. It's time for you to come home. I don't know, but it seems to me that if you're not careful, you're going to get so far off. You're going to have a hard time coming home. And I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to introduce death and destruction into your life and into the lives of your family and your descendants. Please, while you have the chance, come home. 
We hope you're inspired by today's message. If you want to hear more from the Word of God, head over to cwol.org. Check us out on YouTube or any social platform under at Seawall Madison. We believe God is working within you, and we want you to know Him so you too can make Him known.